Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If the Lord will help me today, I want to speak on this thought. I go to church, but I feel lost. This past week, I had the opportunity to do some traveling. Last Sunday, I preached in Houston, Texas. Pastor Bev and I were there. I want to thank Pastor Ethan for preaching a powerful word to us about freedom in Christ last Sunday. I want to thank Pastor Wayne, who preached a powerful word on how to have a food fight. Amen. And while I was in Phoenix, some of the team that was with me, we were watching Wednesday night service because there was a two-hour you know, time difference. And when he started talking about food and cookies, I thought, you better get off my toes, Pastor Wayne. You better get off my toes. You know, because I knew I wasn't going to be eating well in Phoenix because I was traveling. And you know, when you travel sometimes, you don't eat as well as you should. Amen? And then we start talking about them cookies. Mm. I said, the devil is a lie. Right now, the devil is a lie. But he had me thinking. And this is what I love about the beauty of our house is that the diet we need, <laughs> diet, the diet of the word that we need is always on time. Amen? My father-in-law used to say it like this, get all you can and can all you get. In other words, don't let anything fall to the ground. Use it. Use it. Amen. Somewhere in your life, a nugget of truth from the scripture that you've been taught, learned, read yourself will come back and it'll be a blessing to you. And I believe that good teaching will keep you. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to jump with me into the New Testament. We're going to go past Matthew and Mark to go to the book of Luke. There are four Gospels that are presented at the beginning of our Bible. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to speak specifically today out of the book of Luke. What I love about the Gospels is that when you read them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the accounts of Jesus. The witness accounts, the eyewitness accounts of what he did, who he was, where he walked, the people that he healed, and the testimonies that came. But there's something interesting about the Gospel of Luke because Luke did not come to faith until Jesus had already left the earth. Now, you have to study your Bible. Some of you sitting here today say, Pastor, I don't know about that. Study your word and understand the timeline of chronology of when Luke came to know Christ, that he came to knowledge of Christ after the crucifixion and even after the resurrection and even after the day of Pentecost, even after Acts chapter 10, when Peter went down to Cornelius' house. And Bible historians will tell you that Luke was one of the writers who wrote of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life. That's why many of us, when we get around the Christmas holiday, we read out of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. And uh, our families, the patriarch of our family, or maybe a father or a grandfather or an uncle, somebody will open up the scripture and read the gospel story. Even Santa Claus will read the gospel story. Now, I say that because this last year we had a staff retreat in October and we hired a Christian Santa Claus. Now, I know that some of you think that Santa Claus is pagan and Every holiday is pagan, and, and, and if your birthday is pagan. Uh, I don't know what you do for fun, but I'm just going to live my life. I'm just going to live, and I'm not caught up in everybody's boycott. But I found this uh, Christian worship pastor in Tennessee <laughs> who does a side hustle as a Santa Claus. <laughs> And Beverly and I wanted to surprise our staff and uh, have a little Christmas in October. And I knew the perfect way to incorporate was, first of all, to pull Lisa Hubbard in, who is a, <clears throat> has probably 20,000 Christmas trees in her house. And uh, no, I'm exaggerating in a way. And we had a big fun time and we gathered all the students around and all of the, the kids that were with us on the mom and daddy's children. and all of our staff, and we had one of those uh, circles where you start asking people, what are you thankful for? You ever done that in your family and it goes around and people start crying and 
tell them what they're thankful for. And I knew we had something up our sleeve. And as they were going around the room and everybody was thankful, I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful for that, we heard a knock at the door. And a ho, ho, ho! And here it came in, Santa Claus. And the children squealed and some of the adults squealed. Everybody was so happy. And here he came in with a New Testament in his hand. And he sat down, and we had had some presents set aside for the staff, and he sat down and he began to read from the Gospel of Luke. Now you know, you in a different day, when Santa is reading from a New Testament. I said that to tell you that the Word of God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all imperative to us. But when you read out of the book of Luke, you find the very earliest mentions. That's why we read from him in the Christmas season and other times. But historians tell us that the life of Christ from the penmanship of Luke was so prolific because he was sent on assignment to gather testimonies and information to record this gospel. He was sent to write it down. <laughs> so when you read the words of the gospel of Luke and it's concerning the conversation of Mary that she had with Gabriel, who do you think gave Luke that story on a firsthand account? Mary did. She told him how she met the angel of Gabriel. So you read from that and really begin to understand that it was some first-handed accounts where she would even talk about when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and John the Baptist, who Elizabeth was pregnant with at the time, leaped in her womb and then there were salutations and blessings spoken over Mary. And so where did Luke get that? He got that from Mary as well. And so when you hear descriptions of Jesus' life and you read about the miracles that he did and all of the people who bore witness of him, you're reading firsthand account of great interviews from the Gospel of Luke and the writer Luke. So some might would say, well, Pastor, how does that help me today um, in the year of 2023 where the struggle is real. <laughs> and, and I'm just living from paycheck to paycheck and trying to uh, borrow from Peter to pay Paul. And I'm making it through this life with every side hustle I know. How does that have to do with me? Well, I say this because I want you to understand that the scripture is true just as it was then, it is now. That the word of God has never expired it has never gone into retreat and hiding for fear that it made a wrong prediction. The Word of God is forever settled. It is infallible. It, you can't take away from it. You can't add to it. The Word of God will outlive me and it will outlive you. In fact, the Bible said that even heaven and earth will one day pass away, but my Word will never pass away. It will go on through eternity. And then John would tell us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that the Word that John is referring to is Jesus is that Word. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. So I want you to know that Jesus, the Word of God, and His Scripture, His Word, the Logos Word, written down by inspired people full of the Holy Ghost, that it was written for you and I, for our direction, our doctrine, our admonition, for our instruction and yea, even for correction in our life. And I know this word to be true because the Bible says that even when the flower pass away, this word will flourish forever and it shall never fade away. And I also know it to be true because from generation to generation, it has been preserved by the power of God's love. My forefathers, your forefathers, your aunts and uncles and grandfathers and grandmothers and all of the people in your seed line, somebody in your family had a hold of this word. 
You wouldn't be here today if somebody, even if you didn't know who they were, didn't lay claim to this word. The word will keep you. The word will keep you generationally. The word will keep you walking in an upright position. And so I want to encourage you to hold on to this word because it is just as applicable today in the year of 2023 as it has always been. And I would also say that you don't have to defend this word. All you have to do is declare it. We have a lot of people today that are looking to debate online and fuss and fight and argue and try to get the last word and try to demean other people and search the word just to prove a point rather than just to live by purpose. You don't have to defend this word. You just have to declare it. So I don't get into arguments and debates and this, that, and the other and try to fight with people and see what, uh, if they believe doctrinally and what they believe um, uh, theologically. All I know is that if the word of God is in you, we will see evidence of it. I don't have to wear a sign that says, honk, I'm a Christian. I don't have to do any of that. Don't have to pass out business cards. Don't even have to mention that I'm a, a believer. I just live this gospel out each and every day. And that's why the writer says, somebody help me here, that you and I are living epistles read of all men. You are the Bible. Oh, somebody said, well, I don't know about that. Yes, you are. The Bible says you're a living epistle. That means you are the written word of God walking on two feet, living this gospel out. And how people respond to this word is based on what they read about you. Look at somebody and say, I, I don't want to be in the funny papers anymore. I want to live in the first part of that paper. In the Gospel of Luke, I want to read a story out of chapter 17, starting in verse 11. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Underline Samaria and Galilee are highlighted in your device. I want you to see the significance of that he is coming through the midst of them. So he's not in them, he's through the midst of them. Then, as he entered a certain village in the midst, that means he wasn't in Galilee or, or Samaria, but he's somewhere in between. He enters into a certain village, and there meets him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, underline he saw them, when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priest. Now, it never says that, that he had a prayer line and got the bottle of oil out and anointed each one. That's not what the Bible said. The Bible said he saw them. We know where they were in proximity to him because the Bible said they were afar off. The law required that because of their disease. They couldn't come in close proximity with anybody. If you had leprosy today, you wouldn't be allowed to be in this church, sitting in this pew in your 23-inch space. You wouldn't be allowed because you would be considered to have a communicable disease that was very contagious. And so in the law of that day, if you were diseased with leprosy, you weren't allowed to be amongst people. In fact, you had to be very distant from people and you had to scream out to let people know you were coming. Can you imagine announcing over yourself, unclean is coming. Here I come and I'm unclean. The Bible said that life and death are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit of it. So if you believe what you say out of your mouth, you can have it. So that's why you have to be careful that you don't say things like, I'm worried sick. I'm going to have a nervous You can't speak that mess over yourself. Ooh, it's so quiet in here. Because if you believe it, you can eat it. Mm. Can you imagine going around prophesying over yourself all the time? I'm unclean and I'm unclean and I'm clean. I mean, what kind of victory is that? And when he saw them, he gave them instruction. He said, go, show yourself to the priest. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. As they went. Everybody underline as they went. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. So he had gone but came back. 
And with a loud voice, the same voice that cried out, Master Jesus, have mercy, he began to glorify God. Woo, I think he was having a benefit. He was having one of them praises. I don't care what anybody, I don't care if anybody across the aisle looks over their glasses at me. I'm going to praise God if I got to praise him. <laughs> Have you ever had enough tenacity to say, I came through something, I'm going to praise my way. To, you don't know what I had to go through to praise God. I believe I'll go ahead and have myself a praise break right here in the grocery aisle at Kroger while I'm buying this Charmin toilet paper. I'm going to go ahead and give him a praise because he's been a comfort to me. <laughs> he's been a healer to me. High five somebody and tell him he had been better than good to me. So he started glorifying God and he fell down on his face. You know it's saying something now. He's on on his face. He fell at the face of feet of Jesus and started giving him thanks. And the Bible mentions who he was and where he was. He was a Samaritan. Isn't it interesting? He didn't have to tell us that. Because I don't care if you red or yellow, black or white, you are precious in his sight. English, Irish, Scot or Jew, Polish and Italian too. It does not matter. But why does Luke, why does Luke tell us what his nationality was? Why does Luke tell us about his culture? <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. We're going to shame the devil today. And he was a Samaritan. He comes back and has a praise fest all by himself. There was no Hammond B3 organ. There was no click track. <laughs> there was no loops. You didn't have Justin or Jacob making the guitar cry. It wasn't nothing like that. You just had to praise him out in the open and praise him when it don't make no sense. And then the Bible said, by the way, this dude was a Samaritan. And Jesus then has a conversation with him and he says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Where's the choir? I didn't know it would be a solo only. Where are the nine? Were they not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus, you're not speaking politically correct. Jesus, that's not culturally eloquent. I'm offended. <laughs> and he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Foreigner, Samaritan, outcast from the commonwealth, not worthy, deemed worthy to set foot into the temple in Jerusalem. But your faith has made you whole. Oh God, I pray right now that you do a work in me so you can do a work through me. I ask for the wind of heaven to blow in this house. I pray for Pentecost revival, an apostolic anointing. Rest heavy upon every heart, on the Baptist heart, on the Methodist heart, on the church in Christ heart, on the Pentecostal heart, on the apostolic heart, <laughs> on the Nazarene heart, on the Catholic heart. Oh, I ask, Lord, that you pour your spirit on all of us foreigners today. And the church will say amen. amen. I love this passage of scripture. I've preached from it many times, but I want to go a different twist this morning if God will help me and I will be conscious of his timing in your time. But the scripture that stands out to me when I read from the, the gospel of Luke, now this is just one story out of Luke, but if I was to summarize a scripture that comes from the whole context or the canon of scripture, when you look at the gospel of Luke, Luke, the guy who got saved after Pentecost, the guy who came to Christ 
and was a witness. He is known as a physician. His writings are very, uh, just like any doctor, you can't read their writing. Anyway, his writings are very to the point and short enough for you to understand in concision. And so he brings us this word, but this is the word that stands out in me. It's Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, where he describes Jesus as the son of man and says that he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is what stands out to me when I read from this gospel because of all the things that he wrote concerning Jesus' infancy and being led out of, uh, out of Egypt and, and, and being found in Bethlehem in a manger and all of those things. And then he tells us these stories about how Jesus encounters in the place of in-between. These 10 lepers who were outcasts, couldn't go to J J Jerusalem, could not go to Galilee, could not go to Samaria. They were in-between in these little villages, these leper colonies because if you have leprosy you have to live somewhere and they were uh, put together with other sick folk and I found that sometimes when we have a certain sickness or even let me just dive in here a little deeper a certain sin that we are attracted to whether it be drugs or uh, uh, perversion or whatever it is we seem to always migrate with people who have that same vice and these in the New Testament the kind of gives us a reference that when you look at leprosy now in a spiritual connotation, not just a physical ailment, we refer to leprosy as sin. So when we say that somebody has leprosy of soul, we're saying that someone is living in sin. Now, you and I don't have to look very far and don't even have to judge anybody because the Bible says a tree is known by its fruit. So I can look at somebody's fruit and tell if what they have lines up with the word of God. Preach in there, pastor. Because you don't have to be judging anybody and say, well, you don't know me like that. No, I don't have to judge you. The word has already done that. The word is what judges me. And the same word that judges me is the same word that judges you. Look over at somebody and say, Lucille, this word's for you. Because we're judged by the word of God not by choice, not by uh, you being my friend, not because you are part of my family, so I'm gonna overlook that. No, we're judged by the word of God, regardless of who we are. And so when we understand that we have a sickness called sin, and the Bible gives us a, a parallel or a metaphor, if you will, that leprosy is a consideration of sin. So all of us in this room have the sin of leprosy. We all of us were lost without Christ. All of us born into a world of sin. And yet Luke says that the son of man has come, that he may seek and save that which is lost. I want you to underline those two verbs, that he is seek and save. He is seeking for the lost. He is saving the lost. It don't matter if you are uh, lost in the world or lost in the church, that he is still seeking to save that which is lost. So the good news for all of us is this, that it doesn't matter if you lose your way, it matters that you find your way back. It doesn't matter how lost you were, it matters that when he finds you and pulls you out, that you run into his arms and declare, Lord, thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. Is there anybody that could lift their hand and testify that he'd been a graceful God, that he'd been a merciful God, that he kept you when you could not keep yourself, that he found you in a place that was horrible. That's why the writer said, he pulled me up out of a horrible pit. He established my feet on a solid rock. He blessed my coming in and my going out. I can't help but praise him because he's been good to me. I feel like I'm in a room full of witnesses of people who would say I was at the bottom of the bottom. I was at hell's door and God pulled me out of sin. He pulled me out of dysfunction. He pulled me out of perversion. He pulled me out of addiction. Can I preach to somebody? He pulled me out of the dysfunction that my family tried to put on me, but he pulled me out. I got a lot to be thankful for. I got a lot to praise him for because the Lord has been good to me and because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I haven't forgotten where he found me. I can't forget where he pulled me out. I can't forget that he found me in the place of in-between. 
that he found me somewhere between Galilee and somewhere between Samaria. And the Bible said that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way and he had to go through this little town. And I want you to understand that Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was not just a rabbi. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world. Jerusalem was not just another city. Jerusalem was considered to be the city of God. Jerusalem is where God said, when you pray there, I will hear you. He said, when you stand there, I will see you. When you sit there, I will put my hands around this city and I will protect it. And that's why the Bible bears record that his face is always shining towards Jerusalem. And that's why you and I as a church of believers in Christ are called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for the nation and the land that God tells us to pray for. And so I know that when Luke begins to write and break this passage down, I love the writing of Luke as I mentioned that the first four chapters out of the book of Luke is about his birth and his childhood and the beginning of his ministry. And then you read on from chapter 5 into chapter 9 and you see him at the Sea of Galilee doing all the wonderful works that he did while he was yet at Capernaum and he was at the areas that were round about and then when you get to chapter 9 through 19 you find Jesus on his way to the cross on his way to Jerusalem all these chapters that Luke begins to deal with just to get us to the cross. My God, every healing was to get us to a place where we could receive revelation for ourselves. Every time that he brought somebody out of hell's point of, uh, point of reference, he was telling us we can have the same deliverance and we can get it through the cross of Jesus Christ. And while he's going to Jerusalem, he goes through Samaria and he goes through the area of Galilee. Two regions that did not like each other. Two people that did not like each other that did not want to have anything to do with one another you could call it the republicans and the democrats today i don't like you i can't stand you people don't want to get along oh i'm gonna have myself a benefit up here regions like samaria and galilee two people groups that couldn't stand each other i don't want to be associated with you let me describe who they were galilee is jewish territory write that down galilee is filled with synagogues. Galilee is filled with rabbis and individuals who can trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who could stand very posturally high and say, look at where I came from. But then you get to the town of Samaria. Samaria is a, uh, is a territory of the Samaritans. Samaria is where the pagan folk live. Samaritan is a place that was occupied by the Samaritans who, who lived there only because during the exile of Israel, the Jews were taken into captivity and had to leave their home. And when they left, the Samaritans moved in and took over the place. So they living in a land of exile. Samaritans came in and filled the void. For a Jew, when they look at a Samaritan, they're looking at somebody who took their property. You're looking at somebody who had no business. My mom and daddy built that house. You had no business being in my territory, in my zip code. I, that belongs to me. Every time they saw a Samaritan, they called them half-breeds and they called them people who were like dogs and, oh, you don't even fit here. No wonder in John chapter 4 and verse 9, when Jesus had needs to go through Samaria, he sat down at the well with a woman who'd been married five times and he began to talk to her about living water that would flow out of her. And the Bible said that she came back to Jesus and said, what? do you do having something to do with me? Jews and Samaritans don't mix. We're not supposed to. It is culturally inappropriate for you and I to mix this way. Oh, can I tell you that even in the city of Indianapolis, some people would say that it is culturally inappropriate for black folk and white folk and brown folk and red folk to worship to God together at a place called Bethel Family Worship Center where we don't look at your skin and scoff but we look at your skin and celebrate the goodness of the Lord and say this is how I want my kids raised this is what I want my children exposed to the love of God the tribe of every nation oh somebody ought to praise God even when it's culturally inappropriate 
You don't know the hellish stuff I've had to deal with when I've dealt with racist people in our church. I've had, the people have had the nerve to tell me to my face that we too black That made somebody uncomfortable. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I've had them say, you're too white. What do you want me to be? I can be dark chocolate. I can be white chocolate. I can be... According to 23andMe... You looking at a brother right here. <laughs> I'm off my mist. I've had, I kid you not, I've had people fold their arms, cross their arms and give me the stink eye and we need to be a Republican church. We need to be a Democrat. A democratic, man, I'm, you need to have this pastor. You need to do that. You don't even know the arrows that Beverly and I have had to hold a shield to so that it would not get to you, so that it would not hurt you, so that it would not hurt your family. Oh, I'm talking about when God puts you in the ministry. It doesn't matter what color you are. It matters that you preach the gospel, not politics, not religion, not one worldview or cultural irrelevance. I'm not come up here to be politically correct. I come to tell you, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it don't matter where you come from. It matters that you just came. It matters that you just kept coming. You got to come to a place it doesn't matter if I sit here at the well with a Samaritan woman she gonna leave here with a revival in her soul because I did not care what anybody asked me or thought of me hey when you in the place of in between it doesn't matter if they white or black or whoever somebody help me out When you got leprosy, you're not worried about what's the culture of the person coming to help me. When you got leprosy, you just need somebody. Help me. That's why I love this church. That's why I love the people of this house. You have healed me more times than I can count. When I myself was wounded, and I said, take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And here come a brother or a sister. It lifted me up and picked me up. I said, we're going to make it, Pastor. We're going to make it. And the same strength you bring to me, we bring to you. We're going to make it together. Woo. Together. My assignment in this late hour very close to the coming of the Lord. My assignment in this late hour is to get Bethel Family Worship Center ready for his return. So that means some of us are gonna have to turn social media off because it's got your spirit all tore up. And you've just been watching everything thinking that's real. Somebody said, I saw it on Facebook, it must be true. The Holy Ghost will tell you what is true. Jesus said, I will send you the spirit of truth and he will lead you. So I don't, I don't give much credence to all that. I just stay over here sometimes in Samaria, sometimes in the Galilee, but a lot of times in between. Trying to help people. Leprosy required that you were declared unclean. 
The second thing, you had to move out of your home, the home you paid for, that you had mortgage on, that you had invested and should have equity in. You had to move out and move away into a community. Thirdly, you had to move into a leper's colony and get around people who were as sick as you. Pastor, that church. So when the Bible says he's in between Samaria and Galilee, he's in a place that nobody wants to be. I don't want to be there, but I have been there. Sin has ran its course in all of our families. There's not a family in this room that's unscathed by sin. There's not a secret hidden in the closet that all of us don't have somewhere in our family tree. Jesus tells us through Paul's writing in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Sin is a matter of life and death. So when these lepers came to him at the place of in-between, the Bible said that they cried out to him. They cried out to him. Look at verse, seven, verse 13. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now this wasn't a, I don't think this was very polite. I don't think this was very, I don't think there was much etiquette thought about this. Because, you know, when you approach someone who's of great authority, you don't approach people casually. If you would come to be in the presence of a king or the president of the United States, you have to have on a suit and tie if you're a man. If I was to be in the presence of dignitaries and royalty, I must dress for where I'm going. Mm. These guys couldn't dress. These guys didn't step out of GQ. These guys had body parts falling off of them, scars all over their face and their body. And they were probably not the only lepers there because they were in a colony of lepers. But 10 of them were huddled together when they saw him. I wonder if there was anybody around them in their family or their circle of friends that said, don't trouble him. You don't need to go to the altar this week. You've been up there enough. Just let it be. If it's supposed to be, it'll be. But those 10 men did something that every one of us have to come to a place in our life. And the Bible said they lifted their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy. Have you been there? When you were so deep in sin. And the Bible said that he saw them. And the Bible tells us that by law, they couldn't even be too close. So there was no one that said, go get them and bring them. They just cried with their voice. Sometimes all you have is your cry. Sometimes all you have is your holler, your clapback. Sometimes all you have is desperate. Have mercy, please. And he saw them where they were. He didn't say, this is what I want you to do. Come over here, let me lay hands on you. You're gonna be healed. No, that's not what he said. He saw them. And when he saw them, he had compassion upon them. And there was something about the way that Jesus operated because Jesus found people who were unseen. He looked for the people who weren't visible. And there are some of you maybe here today, you would say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody sees my hurt. Nobody knows the depth of my despair. They've not seen the tears I've cried on my pillow at night. They don't know the angst that's in my soul. I've wanted to give up and take my own life. They don't even know. I feel like nobody knows what I'm going through. But I've come to tell you today, he sees you even if you are a far off. He knows right where you are in that station wagon, in that minivan, in that bar. He knows where you are in that hotel room. And he knows right where you are. Master, have mercy. My question this morning I wrote down was, will you lift up your voice 
and cry out to him like they did. Will you do that? A lot of times people call on Jesus when they need him. I need you to be my counselor. Give me some direction. I need you to be my provider. I need you to meet my needs. I need you to be my defender. Send your angels for me in this court case. Jesus, I just want you to come right here. And that's wonderful. But I'm telling you, you can't lay out a church, live like hell, do whatever you want to do, and think he's going to answer every prayer. You got to first call him master. He's got to first be Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Amen. And so they wanted him to help them. And Jesus said, I'll help you. But he didn't do it in the way that we would do it. Because the way we would do it, we would have a big, we'd make sure someone's video in. Watch me as I feed these homeless people. I hear someone playing a video game. Okay, maybe that was me. He didn't call them up and pour oil on their head and anoint them. He just said, go. Go. Well, where's the laying on of hands? Where's the big, verily, verily, I say unto you, be healed in Jesus' name? Where is the come out? Where is all that? There wasn't none of that. Jesus says simply, go. And worse yet, he doesn't even get close to him. They see him from afar off. They yell. They had to yell. And Jesus saw them. They said, have mercy. And he said, go present yourself to the priest. Imagine when your miracle doesn't come the way you want it. That pastor didn't even pray for me. He had one of the deacons do it. I'm not going back to that church. Did you want personality or the person? They returned my call. Jesus just said, go. Well, if he said go, I can't argue with that. Sometimes God is giving us a command and all we do is argue. We argue with what I don't like and, and, and I don't like this, Lord, because our way of getting God to do something for us is saying, God, now you know who I am and you know us and I need a blessing and I, and I need it in this size and I need it in this shape and if it came by two o'clock this afternoon, I'd be all right with that. You don't, you don't command God. You, you don't dictate to God. When he gives you direction, you walk in it. When God says to go, you start walking. And the Bible says this in the place of in between, and this is where they were, write this down. And it was that as they went, they became clean. I've had people pray for me who didn't even lay hands on me. And I thought I went up in their prayer line, they'd even pray for me. But it was my faith. Every step was a step of faith. When I turned and walked out of the building, it was a step of faith. When I returned the following week, it was a step of faith because I sure didn't feel it. But he said as they went, they became clean and they were people who were being healed as they went. And so I want to ask you, if you're looking for your miracle and your healing, are you obeying? I don't know why God hasn't healed me. Are you obeying? Are you walking in the truth of God's word? Because it wasn't the laying on of hands that got him healed, it was the obedience to his word. That's what brought them the restoration. It's as they went and they were healed and they realized, oh my goodness, I'm healed. I, I, there is something happening into me. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to have a conversation with all 10 of those guys as they were turning to go to the priest. He was fixing their problem before they ever got there. He was telling them, to, Sister Anna, he was telling them to do something that did not make sense. I can't even go to the priest, Jacob, unless I'm healed. The priest by law will not receive me, but he's telling me to do something that I've never seen done. He's telling me to obey him when I don't see the answers and I don't see the proof in the pudding and I don't know how this is gonna turn out and this doesn't fit me. I like my ducks in a row. I like things in order. I'm a melancholic puzzle piece. I got to have everything. 
Woo, I'm preaching to somebody. And he says, just go, go. How do I go when I'm not healed? I can't even present myself. But as they went, hallelujah, Brother Palmer, that as they went, they were being healed in the name of Jesus. And the scores that were on their body began to be healed. Can you imagine the conversation, Armin, when they, one of them looked at his brother and he said, hey, Harry, Look at that, you used to have that big sore on your back. I don't see that sore anymore as he went. The closer they got to Jerusalem, the more healing began to come. The closer they walked in obedience, the healing began to accelerate. And he said, oh, Harry, you used to have sores on your back. Look, they're all gone, I don't see one. Oh, Tommy, you had that missing finger because of leprosy. Look, you got a brand new finger. Now, can you imagine the conversation that took place because they walked in obedience to God and said, hey, as they walked and God began to heal them because of obedience. 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 Obedience is even better than sacrifice. Just obey. You want God's blessing? Obey the laws of traffic. I, I was in my office this morning. I heard somebody in the hallway say, you were speeding to church today. Who was, don't tell on yourself. <laughs> they were laughing and cackling. Here you're asking for God's blessing. You're breaking the law all the way to church. <laughs> it was the obedience. I don't know what the conversation was like, but can you imagine all 10 were healed just because they obeyed. What if God gave you a word today and said, by next Sunday, this will come to pass if you just obey? Would you argue? Would you go home and stew and fuss and cuss? Or would you just say, yea, Lord, be it unto me. I, your servant here, and I will obey. And I close with this because the one man came back. The one man. One out of the ten, the tithe came back. The tithe always comes back. Do you hear I got that in there? Come on. The tithe came back. Come on, tithers. <laughs> this ain't even my notes. First service people tell you he wasn't even in this vein, but here I am. And he came back praising. And he came back glorifying God. And the Bible said he was so in such a praise. You know, that's what you call a benefit. When you, when you just praise him all by yourself, got no music behind you, got no choir behind you, ain't nobody saying. You ain't got nothing. You just praise God all by yourself. That's some real praise. That's some real praise. You driving in your truck, Lord, I want to thank you. Got the witness. That's some real praise. When you can praise him when nobody's looking. You didn't have to have your 10 sisters or your 10 brothers to accompany you on the trip. You just came on down the path. And the Bible said as they went, they were healed. Somebody said, well, I'm just waiting on the pastor to pray for me and pour oil on my head. No, 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 no. As you go, you're healed. It's just obedience. It's walking in what you know. That's why you need the word. That's why we need the word of God, Brother Sean. Amen. That's why we need the word of God in us. That's why we need the word of God in us. It's as you go, you're healed. I don't need a magic potion or three words and a promise. And somebody say, hop, skippity do. I don't need all that. I just need to walk in what I know to do. And if you don't know what to do this morning, let me ask you, what's the last thing he told you to do? Well, two years ago, have you done that? Go back to what he told you and walk it out, amen? And you'll see yourself walk into victory. And the man fell down at his feet and he began to praise Jesus. And Jesus said, well, where are the mother now? Where's your friends, where's your homies? Where's your rider dies? Ain't got nobody but you, Jesus. And he's made whole completely. Before he ever goes to the priest, 
to be reinstated so he could go down to the restaurant again and eat at steak St. Elmo's. He goes to see Jesus. He didn't put his sports before Jesus. He didn't put soccer before Jesus. NFL. Till you smell. He didn't put nothing before Jesus. He comes to Jesus first, falls down his feet, praises him. And Jesus says to the foreigner, to the Samaritan, to the outcast, you're not the first Samaritan I've dealt with. I'm going to get revival one way or another. And he heals him. And he walks out of there healed. But not only healed, he's made whole. See, a lot of people can get healed, but are you made whole? God wants me to have wholeness in my living. Wholeness. I can get healed from sickness, but I'm whole when I can treat my wife right. You can be healed from addictions, but you're whole when you keep your mouth off of people. And you walk in integrity. And you're not caught up in other people's mess. You can be healed of a lot of things, but are you whole? The nine were healed, the tenth was healed, but he came back and was made whole. And he fell down at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus delivered him. So my question this morning as we close is, are you walking in the last word? Are you walking in the obedience of the Lord? You can be in this room today, a Christian, and feel lost. No direction. There will be people here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I know there are people here right now. You're sitting in this house. You don't even know what your next step is. The very thought of taking a next step is terrifying you. The very thought of having to make a decision is causing you to have anxiety. I'm speaking this to someone. I feel this in the spirit. You're overwhelmed by even me mentioning it. You're already sweating. I hear the Holy Spirit say that he's going to grant unto you peace. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. <laughs> God's going to bring you into a place of peace where you can have a sound mind. He has not given you the spirit of fear. But love, power, and a sound mind. And you're going to walk in that. And God's just simply asking you to walk in the go. The go. Obedience. Obedience brings the wholeness. They walked and they were healed. And then he returned and God put a double on it. <laughs> he put a double on it. He gave him something extra. Walk in obedience and then come back for the rest of it. He'll tell you a direction, not to confuse you, but to bless you. Walk in that direction and then acknowledge him as you walk. Don't ever get to the point where you say, well, it was my wealth that got me here. And the reason I have these campers and the reason I have these boats and the reason I have, no, it nothing to do with you. It was God that gave it to you and he could take it all away. It was him, it was him. It was him that gave you the house. So put a praise on it. Put a praise on it. Amen. Stand to your feet if you will. If you can, stand to your feet and join me in, for a few moments of worship. And I, I, Could you all sing that again? Hello, love. Hello, joy. Hello, peace. If you want to hear the, this whole message, go watch the YouTube channel for the first service because that was the whole message. Y'all got the... Russellonian version of this message. I, I just felt such liberty. This was a different spirit in this place. Different spirit in this place. If you'll walk in obedience, God will put people in place, put you in places and put you in situations that will absolutely be a blessing to you. A few of our team I had the privilege of traveling with last week to Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a person that likes all my ducks in a row, like things to be in order. Already had all the airfare bought and purchased and I was able to do all that through points. Thank you, Jesus. But I got a call from one of my spiritual fathers 
who disrupted my trip. He said, I need you to be in Houston. This was last Sunday. I need you there. And inside I was thinking, I, I, I got, I'm flying out on Sunday. I, I'm going to preach Sunday morning. I'm going to go home and change. I'm going to get on the plane and go. I need you. This is going to ruffle everything up. So Pastor Bev and I booked our flights, rerouted all of our flights. I sent the team ahead of me on Sunday and said, y'all are going to have to go without me. I have to go a day before to Texas. I'll be in Texas and I'll meet you there. I'll come from there. Messed everything up. So I thought. This is how God sometimes just wants you to hear his voice go. And I could have told my spiritual father, I, Pastor, I've already got things locked in. There'll be a fee to change this. And some of us would have backed out there because we don't want the cost that is associated with obedience. I'll come if you pay me. What if you have to make the sacrifice? Are you just as much invested? And so I made the sacrifice and I said, okay, we'll reroute things and we'll change things up. We flew on and preached in Houston on Sunday morning, was in Sunday night, business meetings with our spiritual father and, and, and their churches. On Monday morning, Pastor Bev and I got up early to hit to the airport to fly to Dallas. She was flying from Dallas to Indy. I was flying from Dallas on back to Phoenix to meet the rest of the team. And I happened to sit down in my Dallas flight to Phoenix next to this guy. And I'm not a talkative person on the plane. I like to keep to myself. I, when I even suspect someone's a talker, I put my headphones on. I want them to know right away. There'll be no talking on this road. <laughs> and so they come by and she wanted to know what we wanted to drink and I told her I'd like to have a ginger ale and he says I'd like to have a vodka and cranberry I didn't say nothing but in myself I said oh here we go here we go, here we go. it's about to get lit up in here <laughs> we're up in the air we're traveling along and she comes by for the second round you need anything? I said, I'll take a coffee this time. She says to him, he said, I'll take another vodka grabber. I said, all right. He's sitting there next to me and I get my phone out to see, our flight had been delayed because of the weather, so I was just seeing what time we were gonna to touch down. He sees me with my phone out, that was his perfect opportunity to interject into my life. He said, what time we landed? I said, well, it looks like here about 11 something. I showed him, you know, and then the floodgates opened and he began to talk. He talked and he talked and he talked and he talked. He talked about himself. He talked about this, that, and the other. And I knew he was a businessman because prior to taking off, he was wheeling and dealing and closing deals and talking to people. And I knew he was a man of importance. And then he asked me, what do you do? I said, well, I pastor a church. And he said, great. And he picks up the vodka and acts like he's reaching it back. Now I got to get rid of this. Well, he didn't. But <laughs> he said, of all the people that I'd be sitting next to, a pastor. And he says, and the Spirit of the Lord filled the cab, I'm not kidding you, filled the cabin. He said, I'm a backslidden missionary Baptist. And the more we talked, the more the tears began to flow. He told me that he remembered when he got saved, how he ran to the altar, fell down before the Lord and cried out for mercy. He was about eight or nine years old. Two years later, his brother was killed, an 11-year-old was killed 
and hit by a car on his bicycle, changed his life. His mom and daddy died of cancer. He said, I was homeless at 14, living in a camper. And he told me about his conversion and told me he could remember the name of the evangelist. He could remember the name of the pastor. He could remember it all. He told me every detail of his conversion. Tears just swelling down his face. He said, of all the people God would put me next to is a pastor here today. I knew then I had to take them headphones off. <laughs> I began to talk and I let him do most of the talking. He was quite loquacious at that point. And I've learned just let people talk. And he just talked and talked and talked. And the more he talked, the more he began to empty his soul. And right there on that plane, we struck up a friendship. I found out he's probably a billionaire, millionaire for sure, owns his own hospital. All the things he told me. And then he said, I want your information. He asked for my name, my phone number, my email. He said, I'm going to reach out to you. And I don't look at that and say, maybe I should have told him about our building fund. We're trying to pay this garage off. I didn't do that. Because your motivation should not be to get something. It's just obedience. <laughs> obedience. I thought I'll never hear from him. You know how people say, I'll reach out. Da, 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 da. Yesterday, he reached out to me. He said, I'll never forget the stories you told. And I was thinking, the stories I told, you were the one that had to tell the stories. He said, and I'll never forget how you prayed for me. I'm thankful for that. And then he said, us guys who live at the head of the holler have to stay together, Pastor. And he kept calling me, Brother Russell, Brother Russell. And I signed a text back and said, your friend, Brother Russell. I would have missed it if I would have told my spiritual father, I ain't doing it. It don't fit my schedule. But I went. And God sat me next to a millionaire who may... We don't know what the story will be written about, how God could use us together as kings and priests. Priests dream the vision. Kings fund the vision. Father, we thank you today for your spirit that's in this house. I thank you for the prophetic word released over this people here, your people. And today we are clinging to your word. I'm clinging to every word of instruction that I won't miss any turn in the way, that I will walk in my divine healing, and because I get healed, my family will get healed. Hallelujah. My seed line will be whole. We will not be a repeat offender of that which we inherited. You brought us up out of a horrible pit. You brought us a mighty long way. And today we come to honor you like the leper who fell a Samaritan, a foreigner, an outcast who found grace and mercy. As our teams move into place this morning, I'm going to ask you, do you need grace and mercy today? Are you here and God is calling you to repent of your sin, to come clean, to say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Would you be one of them that with a loud voice would say, Jesus and Master, have mercy on me. Even if you feel like you're afar off, He'll see you right where you are. Would you be the one that would say, I need a miracle in my life if you need a healing. I want you to be the first to get out of your seat. Go, 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 go. I need a healing. Go, go when the word is given. Go when the opportunity presents itself. Go quickly so that you may usher in praise from your miracle. This is the year of awe and wonder. This is the year of miracle signs and wonders. This is the year that God's gonna do a turnaround. 
If you are here today and you need a healing, I want you to come. If you are here today and you are in the middle of a dispute, you're in the place of in-between, and you need God to undertake, and you don't know how He's going to do it because the situation is so severe, you don't even have to tell nobody. Just get out of your seat and walk this way. Walk like the lepers did. The closer you get to Jerusalem, the closer you are to your healing. They were healed as they went. They were healed. I sense the moving of the Holy Ghost in this place. If you're standing in your seat, cry out to Him. If you're watching online, cry out to Him. If you're here in this altar, find you a place to pray. You don't even have to have anybody put your hands on you. Just cry out to Him. He'll hear you. He'll hear you. The miracle doesn't always come the way we want it to. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. We ask for you to heal. I call for every backslider to come home today. Come home. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 